When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's a major red flag that most guys don't even it's realize. Like huge the, the whole, the whole daddy ish thing is it's big. It's monumental. If they don't love their dad, yeah, have fun. They're mm-hmm. probably going to be a blast, but don't put them on the bottom line. You're listening to the premier podcast for men who want to not only be better with women, but want to be better men in general. This is the come on man podcast. And here's your host. Paul Bauer. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another week of Come On, Man. If you haven't done so already, please like, subscribe, hit those notifications if you're watching on YouTube. Drop a comment. Any comment will do. Um, if you are are watching the premiere and you're in the live chat, sound off in the live chat. I'll I'll probably be in there um, Monday morning. You know, because these are these are. The Monday's episodes are never live. So I might be in there Monday morning editing clips for this week. Uh, so, you know, say hi. Say what's up. <laughs> be sure to follow me on all social media. Uh, all the links are in the description. My new TikTok account, uh, it, it finally made it over a thousand followers. I, I, I put out um, a clip from a live stream where I was, you know, talk about my Batman origin story. And one of the things I talked about is how. I basically grew up in South Park, right? Like think of the cartoon South Park. And I I basically grew up there. Uh, one of the creators of the show went to the same high school I did. Uh, years before me though, like nine years before me, he graduated um, before me. But uh, a lot, some of the teachers on there are were still teaching when I went through school. So like I knew them, I knew some of the teachers, right? I didn't know the creators, but I knew, knew some of the, the teachers. And I do believe that I know Kennedy, right? Kenny, um, the one that died in every episode. Pretty sure I I knew that character, the that the 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 real person that that character is based off of. So anyway, made a couple of videos like that, and uh, man, I just got tons of followers, mostly thirteen and fourteen year old kids. So kids, welcome to the podcast. Y'all are going to learn about game. Not today though. This is not that kind of episode today. Uh, join the Patreon. Be sure to support the show. Join the Patreon. You can join for as little as 10 bucks uh, by going to patreon.com slash come on man pod. That's patreon.com slash come on man pod. The links are in the description for that as well. And uh, for the entire month of February, if you join the Patreon, all Patreon members get access to my uh, practical law of attraction course. Uh, so you get uh, for half off, right? You get a coupon code for half off the practical law of attraction course. So if you've been thinking about doing the course, now's the time to do it. Uh, just join the Patreon and then you get a significant discount on that. Uh, let's see here. Be sure to get on the email list, list.comeonmanpod.com. And I will send you some free stickers. And if you like these stickers, if you're watching this on YouTube and you like the designs of these stickers, uh, below the video on YouTube, you can you can get my merch. But if you're listening on audio and you you want a hoodie or whatever with uh, like the cool red pilled logo or you know t-shirt that says "Not a nice guy" or whatever, 
Visit merch.comeonmanpod.com. That's merch.comeonmanpod.com. The links are uh, in the description for that as well. And, uh, you know, that supports the show just as well. Just, you know, and you get yourself something. And there's mugs in there and all that, you know, all the usual stuff. So do that. Uh, my guest this week, uh, he's a he's an interesting guy. So he went through a really nasty divorce. Rich guy too, right? He was um, he lived in in uh, California, big old house, you know. Um, he was a builder. He had several patents and stuff. We get into a lot of this stuff. It's a it's a very long story, <laughs> but uh, his wife ended up divorcing him, and and he lost basically everything. She took him for everything. She she took the business, everything like that, right? And uh, it took a, a period of time, but he ended up like building himself back up and, you know, getting his mind right. And what he ended up doing was uh, he moved to the Mediterranean and bought himself a sailboat called uh, Grateful. And so, you know, he, the, what he's really about now is teaching guys more about how to uh, be grateful for things, like learn how to be grateful for the th things that you have. You know what I mean? Having a, a sort of an attitude of gratitude and what an aptly named boat to sail around the world with than a boat named Grateful. His name is uh, Dwayne Heil. Uh, wanted to make sure I got that right for the intro. <laughs> and uh, I will bring you that conversation right after these words. Oh, I do want to say before I cut to commercial that uh, because he's on a boat and he's sort of recording everything with Wi-Fi, there was some choppiness. There was some choppiness in this. I tried to edit out as much as I could. Uh, there was one section where it was just like, it was a big long break. So I actually put in like a whole, like we're having technical difficulties. That's right at the beginning. The other stuff, I, I, I mean... It, I really tried to cut it out as much as I could, but um, the internet connection with his stuff was just not that great. It really wasn't. It was very hard to edit this episode. So uh, bear with me on the audio this time. Uh, otherwise, you know, his conversation or his his story is actually pretty fascinating. So if you can grit through some of that stuff, the audio issues, they're not, there's not too many of them, but they're noticeable. Like you, when they hit, you know, there, there, there might be like a couple of seconds where it's sort of annoying. So just, just grit your teeth and, and bear through that stuff. Otherwise it's, it's a pretty good story. So we'll bring you that right after these words. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously. And six, one, since that matters. And what do I even say other than, Hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Do you want a positively unfair advantage in life? Most people tiptoe through life hoping they'll make it safely to death. They let life happen to them. Up until now, I'm assuming that's been your situation. Am I right about that? But you know deep down that you're destined for more. You know that you deserve more money or better relationships, yet you're stuck doing the same thing over and over again, getting the same results. That ends today because you're gonna check out my Practical Law of Attraction course. My Practical Law of Attraction course will give you the tools necessary to write your own story. You will be in the driver's seat of your life, not just the passenger. Your life is already getting better because you're listening to this message right now. 
Access this course at loa.comeonmanpod.com. That's loa.comeonmanpod.com. When you're done with this course, the results that you see for yourself will be better. Others will see how your life is changing for the better. And you'll know that everything in this course is true because your life will be better. But the choice is up to you. You have to decide if you want to stay where you are or achieve goals so big that it will blow your mind. The law of attraction is nothing without action. So what are you waiting for? Act now. All right, joining me this week is a man with a very interesting story. He went through a pretty nasty divorce and lost almost everything. He ended up getting his mind right while sailing around the world in or sailing around the Mediterranean, and he realized he needed to have uh, gratitude for the things that he still has. In fact, his sailboat that he's planning to sail around the world on now is aptly named Grateful. His name is Dwayne. Is it is it Hale or Heel? How do you pronounce Hi- that? Heil. Heil. I was way off. Okay. His name is Dwayne Heil. What's going on, Dwayne? How are you doing today, man? I'm doing really well. How about you? I'm doing good. I'm I'm glad we were able to get this set up. I know there was uh, some issues with the time difference though, because you're in you're in Athens right now, right? Well, I'm in a little island called Corfu, and I appreciate okay. you having me on here and taking your time. Um, I uh, like to share this because um, I went through. Uh, there was to get, to climb out of a hole that where I ended up. At, you know, in order to get here was quite a uh, an odyssey and it's kind of funny because that's you know where the, the odysseus comes from the word odyssey then and we use it every day but that's really from the from the guy odysseus who got lost at sea for 10 years you know homer's tragedy mm-hmm. and i'm actually right next to where he he ended up is where I, that's where i am now corfu is just above ithaca it's where he started and ended so it's kind of funny. Yeah, it's very apropos. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let's let's uh, let's get into this then, right? So you were married for twenty two years. You had yeah. three kids. Yep. How did you and your now ex wife first meet? Oh, I was introduced, and you know, I when I I was uh, kind of a. Uh, I, I, when I got out of college at, I was 24 and I had a nice degree, an engineering degree. And I also had a, I was very learned. I went for six years and I studied law as well. And then I started building and I was dating like crazy. I was, I had no problem getting dates with women from the time I was 26 till I was 30 when I finally met my wife. And I look back on it. And, you know, truth is I had a high body count and I was constantly looking for a wife at all that time. That was back in 19, uh, about 85 to 90, I guess, from 80, from 86 to 91. And that was like really the first time that I really had game because when I was in college, I was so busy in engineering school. I didn't have time to, I mean, I had a girlfriend and I'd get a few girls here and there, but I really didn't have money. And I didn't have, I mean, I had a job enough to buy my truck and go drinking and play rugby and did fun shit. And, and but I, I wasn't, you know, that popular. But when I got, finally got my license, I bought a house. I was living in San Clemente. I was across the street from the beach. 
I had a second car. I was cool. And um, girls attracted to that. You know, they're a little hypergamy game with boom, 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 boom. And, and I was uh, looking for a good wife mm. pretty much right off the bat. I lived with one girl for a year. Remember Kim? And that was a disaster. Don't do that, by the way. Don't move in with them. Um, <laughs> that's for sure you're going you're gonna to marry them. <clears throat> Actually, today, I wouldn't even get married. That's a different story. We all know about that. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that here coming up, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, but I was a coxman, man. I was just having a blast, and and I was uh, I, I I was good to him, you know. I take him on trips. I had my pilot's license. We'd go down to Mexico. We'd do all kinds of fun shit, and they were having a blast. Mm -hmm. But it was really hard to find a girl who I because I had all these plans for my life. So I mm -hmm. want to sail around the world. I want to build all these houses. I want to. You know, I had written this thesis statement for this manufacturing process when I was like in college. I never told anybody about it. I mean, I, but in my mind, I knew what I had this picture of what my life was going to be like. And I was going to kick ass. And I had come from a family where my dad taught me how to build when I was really young 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Built my first house when I was 15, you know, and it kept going and going. And, <clears throat> so I, I, this girl was the sister of my partner's wife and my, okay. my partner actually worked for my dad too, when we were both in high school. So we were a little construction guys and he was more of a designer, but we would build a little room for a, my dad owned all kinds of property and said, Hey, go build us a, an extra room on that restaurant and, you know, or add this onto that or remodel this house. And so he put us, put us on the stuff like as a kid when we were 16, 17, 18. And, and, it, and it was cool. So we had trust. We were almost like brothers. It wasn't like my best friend, but we had trust for sure. We bought, both bought Hobie cats and we'd pull them around in our trailers to sail them together sometimes. So that was cool. And then he went to college, got this girl pregnant, got married to her. He went to a different college than me. Mm -hmm. A couple of years later, we reconnect. We're both in the same city. And then the Oakland Hills fire happens in 1991, September, October, 1991. Most of your listeners probably have no idea that year you know, would even exist, but it was a big event. It burned down 3,500 houses in the Oakland Hills, which by the way, is like all the hills that look at San Francisco. It's the best real estate at the time in the country. It was a huge fire. It burned down all these houses in one day. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was just a disaster. And have you ever I noticed though? It, so I lived, I lived in California for like 15 years and it seems like every year, half of California burns down. Like... Oh, it always burns. <laughs> yeah. This was a special one. Okay. Okay. It, it was special because, um, it was, uh, well, that was pretty, pretty big. Please stand by. We are having technical difficulties. Okay. All right. So, so, I, uh, so we had some technical difficulties here. So you were telling us about this fire. Yeah. So this big fire occurs. I'm living in Los Angeles. San Francisco is a two-hour flight away, or one hour, I think, on Southwest. <clears throat> and my buddy tells me, who's kind of used to be my partner. We do projects together, but 
he says, hey, you know, this big fire just happened up there and the economy was sucking eggs. This was 91. It's like you couldn't give a job away in Southern California. And I was like, oh, it's a great idea. He says, fly up there. And by the way, I'm going to have my sister-in-law pick you up from the airport. So this chick picks me up and she's smoking hot. And I was like, whoa, okay, cool. And she'd just gotten out of architecture school, totally motivated, <clears throat> had a really great job in the city as a waitress, but wanted to build houses. And she had gone to school right next to where the, where the fire was. And so she picks me up and she shows me around this whole area. She goes, that's a good lot. That's a good lot. This is what blah, 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 blah. This is the realtor for this. They have this one. I was like, oh, okay. So then she lets me stay at her house. And of course we have trust because she's married to my good friend's sister. And so she will oh, stay at the house. Well, as soon as I stay over there, it was all over. And then I asked him, I said, hey, is this girl, you know, trustworthy? And I remember... There was one time when we were out looking at properties and we were driving around and she was this super liberal, like Northern California. I'm not a liberal at all. I'm a conservative. And I, I, um, she was, we were driving around these neighborhoods and they have a big sign on this neighborhood. It says exclusive residences pretty typical what you see when it says real estate and she says <clears throat> that I don't like that sign I don't ever want to exclude anybody I was like oh that's an interesting point of view mm -hmm. I was like okay now she grew up in a family whose father he did okay he, he, uh, he was a CEO for a big uh, bomb making company uh, Western microwave and he had, but then he got fired as the CEO. He got thrown out and was broke because he said the wrong thing to one of the investors. Mm. And he was angry about that. But she was angry always with him because he had fucked over her mom during when she was 17 years old. And he really did. I mean, this guy worked it because he was still powerful then. He had one of the best lawyers in the San Francisco or in the Bay Area, take his company public. But once you have that kind of connection, you go to the courts, you have all kinds of up, you know, upper hands. His wife was just a simpleton mom staying at home. So he got the kids, he got most of the money, and she just had to go and get a job. And my ex-wife was a kid in high school. She saw all this go down. And she saw her mom just turn in from this happy housewife, like leave it to Beaver, mm -hmm. turned into like this woman changing bedpans at night in the local hospital to make a living. Mm. And, and so that was 1970s, late 1970s, different world. Yeah. So she was pissed, angry pissed. And then she moved to San Francisco and she got totally steeped in that liberal agenda. Hardcore. And now when I met her, her hair was a little bit long, not, not quite as long as mine. She ended up getting, she has beautiful, thick, long, blonde hair. Well, yeah, she, had she was a beautiful girl. I mean, she had a great body and she was 29, I was 30, or she was 28, I was 29, whatever. And she wanted to really get into this whole thing. But what I'm saying is that she was the first of the liberal feminists, the angry feminists. Mm. And 
I didn't understand what that meant back then. Now that I'm divorced and over the last 10 years, part of my uh, salvation has been watching guys like you and Rolo and blah, 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 blah. And that's why I called um, Rich once and I said, dude, what you're talking about, I am test patient zero, man. I am, you know, I'm going to give you the lowdown on how not to do this and what happens when you do. Yeah. And he was like, okay. And he, he wanted to talk mostly about sailing. It was a funny thing. And oh, which is cool. This is, this is Rich sailing. Cooper you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he yeah. wanted to talk mostly about sailing. Everybody wants to talk about sailing, which I do too. So, yeah. But, but I, I think it's important for the audience. It's like, I totally didn't get it. And now you just turn on the internet, you know, you just get yeah. inundated with all this bullshit about how feminism is blah, blah. Well, I don't have to tell you. Yeah, right? yeah. And now I'm just nodding my head going, if I had only known. I know. Right. But you know what though? Um, I, so I'm, I'm writing a book right now, like on everything I wish I knew when I was 18, but the, but I start off the book saying, the funny thing about this is that if I told myself this at 18, I wouldn't have listened. You know, it's like we we almost no, have to go through this like, you your know, dick is pain. hard and she's hot. And it's like, <laughs> you know, you're and, and it made sense. I looked at this girl and but here is what I did. In my mind, I was Captain Savaho. But she really wasn't a hoe, okay? I mean, mm -hmm. she was not a promiscuous. Yeah, she had a few boyfriends. Yeah. She probably had a pretty low body count. She was not a promiscuous girl. She was like serious. She had one boyfriend. She was married actually once when she was mm. 19 for a minute. Oh, wow. And then, but I knew this because I knew her sister and I knew her brother-in-law through all those years. So they kind of filled me in the blanks a little bit. And I, and I didn't dig too much into any of that. I was like, hindsight, I would have dug deep. <clears throat> I would have asked more questions, but at the yeah. time I was like, I brought the stuff up and I said, Hey, you know, um, what's up? You don't like your dad and blah, blah, blah. Right? He fucked over my mom. I was like, yeah, okay. I had no idea. Yeah. That's a, pain. that's a major red. That's a major red flag that most guys don't even it's realize. Like huge the, the whole, the whole daddy issue <clears throat> thing is it's big. It's monumental. Yeah. Oh my God. If they don't love their dad, yeah, have fun. They're probably mm -hmm. going to be a blast, but don't put them on the bottom line. No, no, no. Play, play them, the, play them. Don't, uh, don't, don't date them. Is that what? That's date them, don't says. play. I, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, for sure. It's a scary thing. Yeah. And I know girls going to be watching this guy. Ah, I'm probably throwing darts at the screen, but it's and luckily uh, my, my demographics is like 99% dudes. So yeah. Is it? <laughs> no one would stick around that long. So <laughs> Right. And so I was, I was like, I, I was like, you know, I come from a really solid, my mom and dad married forever. I have the nicest mom in the world. Like she's beyond nice. She's 92 now. I write stories about her and shit. She had a phenomenal life. She and my dad did blah, blah, blah. We did well. They were the American dream come true. Mm -hmm. And, and she, uh, um, uh, I, I thought I, I watched, I'm trying to get this camera centered, right? So it's more and more in the middle. So people aren't looking on the side. What the fuck. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. Um, 
And I was like, you know, my mom just always stuck around. And my dad was an asshole sometimes. I mean, he really wasn't that nice to me, to tell you the truth. <clears throat> I mean, I understood that growing up. And I was like, stay the fuck out of that guy's way. He was really smart, really successful. But he did, he was kind of an ass to me. And, and everybody knew it. And there, my uncle saw it one time when I finally rebelled and revolted at 15 and 20. And he goes, yeah, I was wondering how long it's going to take you. All right. Fair enough. So, but my mom stayed with him, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's my example. Mine too. Mine too. My, my parents are still yeah. together. Uh, they're in their like, you know, mid to late seventies. They've been together for like, they're, they're coming up on their 50th here. They hate each other though. Like they, <laughs> they're now? only, yeah. Oh yeah. They, like they, they stay together basically in spite of each other, <clears throat> you know, but they, they can't stand each other. They both annoy the crap out of each other. You know, when I go up there, they they bicker. And so they're like the 70 time. something. Oh yeah. But it's like, they're like, they're at the point. They're, so they're at the they point. Want, yeah. I was going to say, do they want different things? They, they are overall aligned, right? Like they're, they're at the point where like they can't live without each other, you know, like they're, they're that so far fused, but like they, my dad is constantly annoyed by my mom's actions. My mom's constantly annoyed at my dad's actions. Like, it's like, I swear to God, they're not, they're not happy. Right. <laughs> And, uh, but that was my example growing up too, was just like, that's how, that's how it is. When you get you married, you're, out. you're not supposed to be happy. You're, you know, you made a commitment and you have kids and you're just supposed you to be miserable. Out. That's, yeah. that's and, life. And, <laughs> and even Terrible. today, the divorcing, yeah, it's like, okay, you want to end it? You know, whatever we have, split it and then go. But that's not what it is, of course. That's not, no. <laughs> it's, it's years of fuckery. What could you possibly make in the future, Mr. Isle? How much can you be worth? Let's do an annuity of you for looking forward. I'm looking at these during that divorce process. I was looking at the, the law, the lawyers and the judges, like they gave no value. Yeah. Zero to the guy's emotional uh, support that his kids and his wife would provide him. You know, so you got a place to go home to and, you know, someone to, snuggle in love your wife and your kids and yeah it means something but not in the law it means zero i i even asked oh, my no. lawyer one time to bring that up and he almost smacked me he was like no way dude we don't talk about that i was like no it's well, a total the, the the whole family <laughs> system is a big money grab at the end of the day it's it's really unfortunate um speaking of that so fast forward so we we originally were talking about how you met your wife and stuff like that yeah. um so you guys ended up getting married. You you ended up buying like a really nice ranch uh, in San uh, we, Luis Obispo. Yeah. In San Luis Obispo, we designed and built all kinds of stuff. And we ended up in San Luis Obispo. That was kind yeah. of a trade-off. Yeah. You had a plane, <laughs> you had horses, you had $10 million. Yeah. Um, and so then she, in 2012, filed for divorce. Yeah. And it, it, just before that, I had this, I probably had, I remember looking at it just three weeks before looking at my life. And I was like, wow, I was standing on the football field mm -hmm. of the local high school because my daughter was getting crowned the queen of the school. It was a mission college prep. So we're at this Catholic school. It was all 
nice and you know it's americana you know football game and my daughter my second daughter who was in 10th grade she sang the star spangled banner she's a singer and yeah me and my wife were standing there along with all the other parents of the homecoming court and we're having big parties at her house and and everything was cool i mean like the little carts that you drive to uh, the, you know, like they, you dress them up like a bug or whatever, and the, the like golf carts, and they shuttle the, the princesses around and shit. I, I totally built one for my daughter because she was going to be in it. So my other daughter asked me to help her. And yeah, we do projects like that. I had this big barn full of building things, and I was building houses constantly. I was building whole subdivisions. And, um, and that was even during the bad times, like, you know, at 12. It was hard to get out of that after 2008, the big recession. Mm hmm. But I had timed it well, and and I kept it together. And I was just sitting there looking at myself, going, "Wow, I can't, you know, I'm just blown away how great this is." And th this was my part of my vision, and it came true. Mm -hmm. Three weeks later, at seven thirty in the morning, November seventh, it was just after the election. It was a Sunday morning, and uh my i remember the day before my wife and i we got in an argument about the election because she liked it that obama won and i was pissed off because he had just like cost me a lot of money for i re they he gave money away to those local bankers and they came and bought our local bank and they just shafted me to the tune of about a half a million bucks <clears throat> and i was pissed and i said that's not i mean that's i mean it to their big bank in New York, and they just came and bought our private little bank, and then they just changed rules on us. Like, oh, you have to sell that property tomorrow. I was like, oh, really? Yeah, we just made a new rule. Like, oh, I don't, I okay, don't understand. Thanks. I don't understand some of these liberal chicks that uh, they like these very liberal candidates, and not to get into politics, but but they like these really liberal candidates that want to shut down the industry that their husbands are working in. I, I knew this oh. gal that this, this gal that lived close to me, I actually went to high school with her yeah. and she, she was married to this guy who worked in the coal mines. And so he was a coal miner and she right. was like all about like Bernie Sanders and all about oh, Obama yeah, and like all those guys want to shut down all the coal industry. And I'm like, why would you vote for someone that's going to take food off your table? Like that, that doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> Yeah. Because she's already got her mind on the next guy who's going to make money when it flips over. Probably. Yeah. That's, that's that, or why. they just they just don't think that far ahead. You know, it's like. Yeah, maybe that's true. Yeah. In my case, my ex-wife was pissed because she was mad that there was a possibility of them changing the abortion laws. And that was in 2012. And this year it happened, mm. right? Or last year. <clears throat> so she was right. But who was that president made no difference. And I was like, my kids are not going to be in that, that, that number. Like, and, and, and I'm pro-life anyway. And, and so she's not. So we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. But she was voting because of that. And I was like, well, okay. But, you know, you love all the fucking money that I make that, you know, she's, Oh, she's every day. There was piles of shit on the front door. like could box it. She'd sit there and just Amazon it. Yeah. Crazy. And the kids all had this and that, not, 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 not like, 
Well, it drove drove me nuts, but whatever. You know, it's it, that wasn't the deal killer, but I was like, it's not like you don't like spending money, right? And that's where it comes from. <clears throat> so anyway, we had this fight, little argument about it, and uh, we went to bed for later, grumbling. The next morning, she said, I want a divorce. I was like, the fuck? And turned out she had planned it for a couple of years because I found out later there was loans that had not been recorded properly to private people who we didn't have to pay back. Now, mm -hmm. I didn't have to pay them back either, but yeah. these were people who trusted me. So I did pay them back. But she had to walk from it. I mean, like millions of dollars worth. Okay. Mm hmm and so after you split up, you know, what we have and then a bunch of it, just you lose a bunch of taxes. She starts selling everything and the court's just like, sure, honey, you can sell that. And I would object to everything. Nope. So I have the gavel. Going back to uh, how she had been planning this, you said she'd been planning it for about three years. I think it's it's yeah. been shown that on average, most women by the time they drop that brick in your lap that they want out, they've been planning it for at least two. And I've, I've seen that. I've, I've seen that really. Uh, yeah. I've seen that, uh, in my own divorce. And then right after my divorce, I got in a long LTR with another chick for about four and a half years. And, um, same thing. It was about, about two years in, I could go back and find an email where I could, she sent me an email ex, like expressing like her concerns with the relationship or something like that. It was like right at that point, to, you know, that she started really looking for, you know, a way out of that relationship. So it was about two years later that we ended up breaking up. And, and I was like, that's, it's like, it's, they, it's like clockwork. They start hiding they assets. Yeah. They start hiding assets. They start lining up new guys. They, yeah, they, they are, they are uh, conniving at that point, you know, cause it's a, it's like a survival situation for them, I guess. But I mean, but they will look at, they'll start talking to their, their girlfriends that have been through divorce and their girlfriends are telling them like how to screw over guys more. It's like, it's, it's all of a sudden it becomes like, you know, someone who really loved you, you really trusted and they just flip. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and so like, I would give fast forward to like now is my, well, I can wait and get to that, but you know, how I, how I live and behave now to avoid, cause I'm after, okay. And now I'm divorced and I'm, it took her a couple of weeks or about three months to get me out of the house. And she did some things that scared the living crap out of me. Mm -hmm. Like she was planning. You can see the right in the wall. Very, very clever. She was going to make it look like I was like, you know what? I better not be here anymore. I mean, I, I should have been smarter and put up cameras everywhere. I should have just loaded the house up with cameras and she would have thrown a fit. She would have, there would have been a war if I had done that. And I was like, Can, I mean, it's, it, wouldn't, it isn't that I wouldn't want her to know, but I would have had to hide them. Mm -hmm. Otherwise she, cause like one night, one night I tried to record one of our conversations and she freaked out. And I was like, oh, I get it. You are sneaking this shit. This is, you know, we've been married for 22 years. We have all of these assets entangled and entwined. We have a huge family on both sides. Yeah. Her family, she's friends with my extended family. We go on big vacations together. We own second houses, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> As you do when you're 
when you have uh, people. And so within about three or four months, I find myself not even being able to stay sleep in the house anymore. And then she was able to take control. And then about six weeks later, she goes to the court. And I had no idea she was going to do this. But she stood up and she gave a about a two-hour monologue on the stand. This is the first time we were in court. <clears throat> detailing how she had every ability to run every facet of all of our companies and that she mm. should have management control because I did all the sales. I did all the work. I owned the licenses. I had the patents. I had all these other things, but yet we're supposed to be equitable partners Where's the equity for her? She has to have something of tangible value. So she wanted the final say on everything. I could go, I could just keep working and she would just, you know, she could make final decisions. Like, and I was like, no fucking way. Mm -hmm. There's no way I'm going to work that way. I mean, and then she started to give me, you know, she started pissing me off. Like, you got to park behind the garage. I don't want, I, you can show up at nine. I don't want you gone by 11. And then you can you, go back at three. Yeah. I, yeah. You know? we, I, don't, I don't think we, we, quite touched on that, but the court basically gave her the control of your company, right? Yeah. Oh, he just handed it over. I was just like, I was dumbfounded. I remember yeah. the, the decision came through and I, I objected to everything. Oh, I got up and I said, yeah. I said, your honor, I go, this is a big mistake. You know, we've been together for 22 years and mm -hmm. you know, do you, you think it's going to work? I don't think it's going to work. No, yeah. it's just, it's a disaster waiting to happen. We can't, you know, build people's houses like this where somebody who hates me telling me what to do. Right. <clears throat> so this, um, just in the, the, uh, you know, concern of uh, time constraint here. So she basically like you had huge ranch, plane, horses, millionaire, fantastic company patent on this, this technology to build green homes and stuff like that. You lost all of it. It basically went to zero. I was homeless um, pretty much off the bat. I just had to start finding people to stay with. <clears throat> I did get a girlfriend, but I didn't feel comfortable living with her. I mean, I'd go over sometimes, but it wasn't like, I just felt really weird because you wouldn't even want to be in the same room. You know I mean? Like spend the night. It's, you just feel so weird after 22 years. So I ended up, a friend of mine gave me like this old burned out basement and said, here, you can sleep in that in the bottom of one of his houses in the Oakland Hills. And how I was did driving that, back. How did that, I was going to say, how did that like impact you mentally though, from going from like this big ranch house that you built millions of dollars to living in uh, essentially a basement like that, that my would, that would crush were, most guys. Okay. So I've been a surfer all my life and that's my big thing. I, every Sunday for as long as I had my kids, every single Sunday, I would take them at eight o'clock in the morning. I had them all custom boards made. We'd load up the book. We'd go down to the beach five minutes away. Everybody had to surf, whether you like it or not. It's either that or go to church. And I said, okay, this is family time. I get you from eight till 12 on Sunday. And then after 12, you can do what you want. So, you know, eight to nine, nine to 10, we're playing on the beach. I mean, it was fun, but the, and then, and then we eat 
They have a big old breakfast. We're done at noon. They go have their day. That was how I raised my kids. It was fun. When I got out, when I was on my own, I tried to go surfing. I had such anxiety of memories of being with my kids in the water and you know all the fun, and I wasn't able to see them. I mean, there was no law against me seeing them, but she was so clever, she'd keep them away from me and all this fuckery. So I wasn't seeing them, and it made me so sad. I couldn't put my head underwater. I would have panic attacks. Mm. I was sweating every night in bed. I was just a mess. I was useless. And I was still having to produce and finish some jobs, but it was sort of just like on autopilot. I mean, I was so, I'd done what I'd done so long. I, I knew how to get stuff done. But I, so then I was driving a lot between San Francisco and San Luis Obispo. It's a four hour drive. On those drives, I started calling friends. And that's where my rebuilding process began. One of my engineers, <clears throat> he sent me a book by um, Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. Ooh, and he talk, book. Yeah, he talks about how to deal with pain, how to rationalize pain. It never would have occurred to me to try to rationalize pain. I was like, fuck, man, I'm a builder. I'm a badass. I fucking do anything. You know, it's like, I just do shit. I get stuff done. It, it never occurred to me to meditate or stop. And I was successful. But after that, my head was a fucking mess. So I started with, with that. And that was a huge help. After another while, one of my other friends, his girlfriend saw how, you know, because I would talk about this incessantly. You know, oh my God, the divorce. And, and, and meanwhile, meanwhile, this is going on. My divorce is happening. I'm in court every other week. It's just, it's a, it's a fuck fest. It's, it's horrible. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just a, you know, you, every asset you have just gets torn apart. They just force you to pay taxes. You see your entire thing collapse and you realize I'm going to end up with nothing. I mean, theoretically I had half, they say, but then they, the way they break up the liabilities, they go, well, you know, you have more possibility of making money in the future. <coughs> so, we're going to give her more, you know, and it, it ends up in a net zero to me. Mm -hmm. And so I was watching that happen and I'm just nervous all the time. Like you can't, and no, banks won't loan you money anymore. Your life stops while you're in court for two years. And then mm -hmm. I was realized, I was like, you know, she's going to drag this on forever. And I got more anxiety because I had no way to plan the future. And I was a planner. So like, how am I going to get over this? So this other girl I know, she saw this and she said, hey, you should go to this thing called the Hoffman process. 1960s, a guy named Bob Hoffman put together this meditation process and you go for a week. It's, all, it's a partial silent meditation and it's partially, you, you look at yourself in four parts of yourself, your physical, your mental, your intellectual. Well, mental is your intellectual, your spiritual, and your um, see, physical, spiritual, uh, intellectual. Did I say physical? Yeah, and uh, and your and your uh, and your. Uh, I said spirit. There's four. What the hell's the other one? Come on, help me out here, bro. I'm looking it up here. Hoffman process. Yeah. S spiritual, physical, emotional, and intellectual. Those four. So. 
<clears throat> it's a process where you concentrate on each part of however you feel. And by doing this, what you're doing is you're training your brain how to think differently. Because really, all this pain, all this anxiety, all this sweat, all this nervousness, it's PTSD. Mm -hmm. So you need to get over this PTSD. And this was a process of managing that. And by isolating how you feel when you think about different parts of yourself, these meditations, it allows you to think clearly again and not just get it all nervous and bundled up and jumbled. I never learned how to think like this. Mm. Okay. So I came out of that after seven days and I was radically changed. I was like, okay, now I have the tools to manage my emotions. I still had a hard time getting into water. Next thing I did, I, um, I needed to be around people. I needed to force myself to be around people and I wanted to be around kids. I used to play rugby in college and I played a little bit after in, in, in over in Australia and some other places. And so I went to the local rugby club in San Luis Obispo and I asked him if I could just play. And the guy, his name is Reggie Greenwood. He's sort of a manager of the team and they have an old guys league too. And he invited me right in, great guy me under his wing and he said you know you should be a coach and you should be a referee so i went through both of these schools and i got my refereeing certificate and my coaching certificate so i could coach kids adults too anybody really and then i ended up refereeing in san francisco for the pelican refs it's called it was a big deal I got some really big games, you know, like some national games and stuff. And it was so cool. But that got me back together with people again where I didn't have to have a relationship. Now, while all this was going on, I was dating. But the reality was, in my mind, I knew I was going to get to a point and I was going to go back. And as soon as I made enough money, I was going to sell out of there and I was going to go sailing. Mm. Okay, because this is a dream that I had when I was a kid. And that's a whole other story. But just suffice it to say, I sailed a lot when I was a kid. I bought my first boat when I was like 14. I bought a little Hobie Cat, you know, 16-foot, $1,000 toy for the ocean. Mm -hmm. But I sailed the hell out of that thing. And then when I got college and after college, I networked and got on a big race boat, an 80-foot maxi yacht racer. I raced around Australia. And I would race. I just sailed whenever I could. It was part of my life. And so when I met my wife, I was like, I want to do this sailing, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, oh, it's so exciting. But then as soon as it came up 10 years later, we had the ability. She was like, no way, I'm not going there. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. So we made compromises. But yeah, now I'm out and I'm, this is 10 years, you know, now I'm in mid 50s. I go, oh, yeah, I was going to go sailing. Could I still do that? So I joined this local sailing club and I'd rent. And <clears throat> And then one day, um, I met this girl. Now, I still wasn't really fit yet. I mean, I was never out of shape, but I wasn't like, you know, follow a big heavy routine. And I wanted to, but I was working and still getting motivated for that was hard. <coughs> I meet this girl named Tina Voigt. She ended up walking on one of my job sites. She was an amazing designer. And she was really hot. <laughs> So I was hitting on her and she was uh, always blowing me off for like six months. And I'd say, what the fuck do you do anyway? I go, you got a boyfriend? She'd say, no, I don't have a boyfriend. I said, what do you do? And she says, uh, I swim. I was like, yeah. 
And I thought swimming was so nerdy and kind of goofy. It's like in high school, the goofy kids, early morning swim. And, but she was cool and hot. And I was like, you swim? She goes, yeah. I go, like that freezing water? She goes, yeah. And she's like a couple years younger than me. But you look at her, you'd think she's 30. She's just like an athlete. She's an athlete. Mm -hmm. like she's like a navy seal athlete okay yeah like hard body not a wrinkle on her just built and gorgeous and she was actually a, a national model when she was younger and she keeps herself perfect and and uh, has a cool job and but i said really i said why don't you take me sailing i mean uh, swimming yeah and so she did so she said all right Meet me down at this club on the edge of San Francisco Bay at night. So, like, it was fucking, I don't know, 8 o'clock, mm -hmm. dark, February, freezing. And no wetsuit. Just go, it's Wim Hof. You know, this was before Wim Hof was a, was a known guy, but that's essentially what we did. I thought I, thought I was going to die. Freezing, you you're said, like freezing cold water, huh? Yeah, and, and you said you're a marine, so I know you. Navy, you some of this. Navy, sailor. Oh, you're Navy. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> you. Sorry. No, it's so, okay. <clears throat> but it, the, I was like, "Oh my god, I am going to die!" Like when that water goes on the back of your neck, you can't see, and the water's so green anyway. And there's mm -hmm. big old animals out there in the water. And I've been a surfer forever, but I always wear a wetsuit. Mm. And I was like, why would you swim when you could surf? I mean, the only time I swim is when I lose my surfboard. But she was like <laughs> into it. Yeah. So, so then I started chasing her around. Well, she got me into this program. We were, surf, we were swimming six days, seven days a week. And we started going mm -hmm. on trips with it. I got really good. I still do uh, the, uh, the Spetsathlon on Spetses here in uh, San Luis in, uh, in Greece. I'm... I am in my 59. I done it when I was 58, when I was 60. In my age class, I came in second and third. I got my little, my, uh, my, my medals here. Your medal over there. Yeah. The medals. Yeah. For, for getting the podium in this, you know, there's hundreds of people in the, in the swim, but I became a good swimmer. But what it did is it retrained my, my brain. When you train yourself to swim in cold water, you think differently. So that was a huge piece of my emancipation from, you know, like not killing myself, swimming, mm. cold water swimming. Now I was, yeah. Cause when you get around. one, one thing I I've done, I've done one of those like cold, cold water plunges, those ice bath plunges. Yeah. And it's like, you're, it engages your fight or flight type response. Like your, your yeah. brain's sort of only thinking about survival at that point. And so it yeah. sort of clears your mind out of all the other bullshit that you got going yeah. on. Cause it's like, I got to survive now. Yeah. Right. And so this is the point. So every single one of these things was dealing with my, 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 my psyche, my, my subconscious mm -hmm. of from Eckhart Tolle to working with people to give back. And I remember when I, when I, when I really got into the give back thing, I was living in downtown Oakland. I got, like I moved up to a different apartment in downtown Oakland where all the criminals are, but I was living there, <clears throat> which was really weird. Having come from a ranch with kids and everything to be in the middle of this cold city 
in the middle of the on Sunday morning, but there's this big billboard or it's a, it's a painting on the side of the building next to me and it's Mahatma Gandhi. And he says, the best way to find yourself is to put yourself in the service of others. And there's that quote. And I was like, I need to volunteer. So I started searching for a way to volunteer. And I was, I heard this lady talking about the refugee crisis in Syria. And they were like people piling up in Greece. And I was building a little restaurant for this lady. And so I asked her about it. I said, and she goes over there all the time. It was just random. And I said, could I go with you guys? And um, this lady has this organization called Third Wave Volunteers. And there's like 30,000 people in her organization. And people just volunteer for all kinds of shit all over the world. And she organizes this. Well, I got to go with her, with the lady who runs the company. I got to personally carry these bags for her. And there were six of us. And we went there. And I ended up writing this really great story about it. It's in my links in my Instagram. It's grateful travel. Anyway, so if you go to my links, look at the stories. So I wrote the story about my time at the Syrian refugee camp. But what I saw when I went there, there was 40,000. 20, it was growing by 1,000 a day. So there was somewhere between 20 and 40,000 people in this tent city, just fucking nothing, like they're in a bean field on the, on the border of Greece and Montenegro. These people were walking, walking from fucking Turkey, or no, Syria, up to Germany, walking. Like, oh, wow. hey, we're going to go another 10, 20 miles today, like soldiers. But then the EU said, oh, there's too much you know, shit going on. We can't have these people come anymore. We're going to put up a big fence. Boom. Right on the border of Macedonia. They couldn't go any further. It was militarized, like double fence. It looked like Auschwitz. And then these camps would grow. And they had tents. And then they started bringing food in. And all kinds of humanitarian aid shows up. Okay. But it's like, still, they got nothing. They don't have a penny. And so I went there and I volunteered for a week. And I did a lot of stuff. I, did, I met people and I... Um, I handed out these little square lights, these they're, they're solar lights, and they put them in the tent and they'd have light at night. Like they had no light at night, nothing. They're in a dark tent at night and there were thousands of other people, little crime things aren't going to happen. Oh my God. So a light was a big deal. <coughs> we brought like 2,000 of them over. And, um, but watching how people act when they lose everything. And now they still had each other. But like I, I dealt with this kid and his mom. This kid had a bullet hole in his leg from where wow. he was running, right? And he was, wasn't even addressed. Wasn't even, yeah. And so I was like, hey, man, we got to get that, you know, we got to patch that fucker up. So yeah. I dealt with the medical. And, and then I started asking people what was wrong with him. I wrote this whole story about it. it. It's a long story. It's a great story. But I made a lot of connection with a lot of people. The bottom line was, it puts yourself out of your own fucking problem and you see others. And that's mm -hmm. the best thing you can do for your head. So I got really attached with a lot of these people and I started focusing on helping them. And I did, I, I, I ended up building them a library there and donating a bunch of books and making a special tent. And it's all in the story. Mm. And, and then with that, I started coming over to Greece. That was my first trip to Greece. And I'd never really been to Greece. I, I hadn't been out of the country in 30 years because I was just building. I was home working and building and being a good boy. And, 
And then all of a sudden I was like single, like, oh my God, how do, and then I didn't have money. And slowly I, I built and sold a couple houses and I started paying things off and I started getting cash and it's like, okay, I can do this trip. And I went there. And so I started digging into my history, my roots of being in Turkey. I mean, of, of Greece. Okay, so then I started getting really curious. I went back home and I started reaching out to all of my relatives, asking them, when did grandpa come over? Where did grandma come over? Where? And I put together this huge family tree. It took me six years. <coughs> so <clears throat> the act of, <clears throat> of filling in an otherwise blank is very cathartic. So mm -hmm. that was another big piece of the puzzle. So then I finished my last house in four, it was four years ago, five years ago, next month, almost 1918, I mean, 2018. Mm -hmm. And I finished this last house and I was going to rent it. And then I was going to go and I had signed a contract with this guy. Um, he's the head coach for the Cal bears. What's his name? You can look that up. Head coach for the Cal bears, California bears, you know, football mm -hmm. team and so he's a college coach so he's a big damn deal and i didn't know him when he came in and i because he wanted to rent this big beautiful house that i just built all himself and i was like what the fuck do you do man and he goes oh i'm coach for the bears i was like oh dude respect mm -hmm. i mean that's a big damn deal that's like the most important job at the whole school and justin wilcox is his name so justin makes a contract with me to move in in beginning of September. And so a few months before all of a sudden I end up, my ex-wife makes another stab at me at five years later, after we'd finalized everything and I'd given her all this set, she wants mm -hmm. to sue me for back taxes. Oh man. It's funny. And one thing that guys don't understand uh, with divorce is like when the divorce is finalized, it's not final. Like they're, like women uh well guys do guys do this too but i see a lot more from women but um people just like like to stick it to each other later on a couple years down so it's she like tried this never ever yeah yeah she tried and i decided this time i'm gonna fight like hell and but it was really hard because i had to fight without pulling myself into a protracted lawsuit because she knew that i was getting ready to go travel Mm -hmm. Like I was selling out and changing my life, right? And she knew that because I told my son. I'm sure my son told her. He it wasn't like a secret. <clears throat> and I don't talk to her, but so I'm sure she was like, "Who the fuck? Who the fuck is he to go and you know sail the Mediterranean or sail the world, whatever?" Do is yeah. I'm not going to let him have his dream. Are you right. kidding me? Yeah, I'm going to ruin gonna, this guy. Yeah. I'm going to ruin this guy. Oh, she did. She did every way. She had it all set up beforehand, guys. Don't let your wife define who your family friends are. I did that. I was a big mistake. Yeah. Like if I had friends and like, if you were my friend and I'd say, Hey, you know, uh, all the guys are going to come over. We're going to hang out and their wives are going to come out. You should hang out with them. We had families, you know? Mm -hmm. And if my wife didn't approve of everybody, for whatever reason, and I, now I realize the reason, it's because she couldn't control their wives. Mm. Then she would shut it down. Sounds like and, my ex-wife a little bit. Right, control it. So what they want to control is the ability to control all the 
<coughs> all the relationships. And so when we got divorced, she had control over all the relationships. You know, so there was no contact between me and my kids. Yeah, that's messed I, up. Yeah, I realized that later, that that was the objective of every relationship that she would have. She would find a friend. She had a husband. Great. Most of them were families. We were together. Not necessarily first marriages, but whatever. They were family. And then I didn't occur to me. So now a uh, lawsuit right before I'm going to take off, go sailing. And I'm like, uh, okay, what do I do with this lawsuit? Because I know I can fight it and win, but if I do, it could end up being a long protracted lawsuit, <clears throat> which will keep preclude me from going. Or right. I can just pay it. I said, man, if I pay this, I am admitting to her accusations. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can pay it under protest, but still, if they, and, and, and it was true. She had, she had falsified her tax returns and she's a cheater and, and she got audited and she got caught and then she wanted to blame it on me. And she, she was in control of the company during that time. And I just wrote all that in this big long four page letter and I gave it to her lawyer and I said, you know, if you guys do, oh, then she tried to do another really bad thing. She was trying to get FAFSA scholarships for my kids. We had millions of dollars. She said, we don't get FAFSA scholarships, but she wanted she wanted to play this game where theoretically all the money was mine, even though she was my partner and the vice president, or no, she was like the president. I was CEO of this corporation that we had for 20 years. But she said she never really worked that much. So therefore, any money that, that was ours was really mine. But now uh -huh. she got it, all of it because she was getting divorced. And money you get through a divorce doesn't count as income. So therefore, mm. it's not taxable. So therefore, I should have to pay taxes on that before I give it to her. So not only do I have to pay her all this, but then I have to go find money to pay taxes on it, which in California yeah. is in half. <clears throat> so, but it wasn't true. I mean, she was totally, she, she actually was in control of the company. Yeah. But she just wanted so, to play this game. Yeah. So, so we're, I, we're, we're almost at an hour here. So did you end up beating that or, or, or what? I did. Okay. Well, I didn't beat it. What she did is she quit because I wrote a, a threat, threatened this letter and said, Hey, if you take this any further, I'm going to report you to the feds for, mm. you know, trying to make this FAFSA scholarship application. I, I don't know if it would have any weight because it didn't go through, but then she got yeah. mad and she wrote an email to my accountant and that's how got, we found out about but, it. But like, she ended up, oh she ended up dropping it and you were able to, you were she able dropped to it. go out and okay. Yeah. Okay, and so, so then, then you, uh, so this, does this lead us to, um, when, where you found your boat grateful? Right. So then I was I thought I was going to leave from Oakland because I was living there on the bay. And one day, a Beneteau Sense, like I live in now, shows up at the dock. It's the most beautiful boat I've ever seen, but it costs twice as much as all the others because it's yeah. in France. Not that it's more plastic and wood and everything. It's just foreign. And yeah. they're, they're rare. They're really rare. And I was like, oh my God, I want one of those. And so I went on home, looked online, and they're only in Europe, and there was only one for sale. It was in England. So I called the guy in England, and I said, hey, man, I want to buy that. He goes, okay, put a deposit. There's boat shows here this week. It'll probably sell. Let you. So I sent him $15,000 on my credit card, not knowing who the guy was. And a couple of days later, well, okay, up until that, this guy, Justin Wilcox, the reason I brought him up, this coach. Yeah. Even though I went through all this shit and I was totally ready to go, and even though I had no new income, and even though I built, beat my wife in this 
this uh, lawsuit. So that's why I brought yeah. up the lawsuit to sort of fill that piece in. So all this yeah. shit was happening to like keep me there, but I overcame it. Yeah. <clears throat> so at any moment I could have just been stuck. Okay. So I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm free. Okay. Time to go. I sat there in my little room. I rented them the house. I kept this little tiny room in the basement and I just sat there and every day I would sit there looking at my computer and I was looking at boats and I was just bullshit. And I was calling friends and Justin would come home every day from coaching, you know, 120 of the top athletes of the country at, at, uh, Cal Berkeley and he saw me sitting there and after about 10 days by September 10th, he, instead of just saying, Hey, Dwayne, what's going on? And Justin's like in his mid forties, super cool guy, super mm -hmm. chill. But he, you think about the job of a college football coach. They yeah. are recognized fear, right? So you take a high school, high school star athlete, all of a sudden he's in the big time every, you know, the, the time goes from three seconds to throw the ball to a half a second to throw the ball where you're going to get your legs mm -hmm. torn off because everything's yeah. just upped, right? So that guy's scared to fucking death when he steps out on the field. Yeah. So Justin has to deal with that. And so that's his job. That's mostly his job is motivating people to do crazy ass shit. And that's why they pay him a couple million bucks a year. Mm -hmm. So he's living in my house. And after about 10 days of seeing me the other day, he gets out of his car one day and he just looks at me. He doesn't say anything. He just walks up to my desk because the door is open to the garage. He goes, hey, you mind like sit down for a sec? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he goes, hey, look, dude, the thing you're going to do is so important because you're the only one who can do it. And mm -hmm. everybody wants to see you do it. And everybody's counting on you. And you're counting on yourself. So don't even think about it. Just look, I've had a hard day. I'm going to go up and make a Manhattan. I'll see you later. And he walks away. Mm -hmm. And I was like, he totally called me out. So the yeah. next day I bought a one-way ticket to London. I went over to look at this boat. I didn't like it. <laughs> I was like, mm. oh my God, it flew all the way to fucking England. And I didn't like this boat. I was like, that didn't fall in love. But the boat show was happening. Huge boat show at Southampton. I'm walking yeah. around there for like three days and this random salesman sees me. He goes, Hey dude, come here. Come here. Hey, I, I like, I've been watching you walk around. You look lost. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? What are you looking for? So I tell him my story. He goes, Oh man, because you're in you're in England because you got to get the fuck out of here. Cause it's going to get cold. It's September. It's, you know, you got to cross the Bay of Biscay because you got to go to Turkey. I was like, Turkey? What? I go, I've already come this far. I don't know anything from Turkey. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there's boats on the south. Don't worry, you'll find something. Just, just get the hell out of here. So I was like, wow, I guess I got nothing else holding me on. So I went and I found this local broker. He showed me like 50 boats. And I wasn't interested in any of them because I wanted this Benito sense, but it didn't exist. Mm. There just wasn't one on the market. There was like a Genos and all these Brazilian different boats, but not this one. They, they only made 70 of these. Okay. It's a low production. Mm. And I had it in my mind. That's what I wanted. And I got all depressed and I went and rented a hotel in this town called Dacha. And I just sat there on the beach. And <clears throat> one night, middle of the night, about a couple weeks later, 
I was just dejected. I was like, fuck, I went all the way around the world to find a boat. I can't find it. It's not even one on the internet. There was a little website that I, a guy six months earlier from Turkey had told me about randomly, just a random conversation. He was staying at my house as an Airbnb guest. And out of the blue, it came to my head. It was like this website's called Sahi Binden. And it's basically the Turkish Craigslist. Mm. And so I go, yeah. I woke up at three in the morning and I remembered that. And I thought, fuck, well, I'll pull it through my computer. And there it is, this boat sitting in the next bay over. I had almost driven to it. Turkey's a big place. Like I drove eight hours to get to this place. And I'd almost driven right to it. Yeah. And it was at a great price. And it was only on this little tiny website, which nobody would even look at. Uh, they would they would only go on the big yacht world websites. I drove over there. Yeah. And her name was her name was already grateful. Wow. Then it was just sitting there perfect. I was like, holy shit. This thing was waiting for me. Yeah. So that was wow, that's, that was the exodus. Yeah. What a great story. Um, we do need to wrap up here. I wish yeah. I could ask you more about it, but uh, where can people find you online? Because I know you have some videos about this and you have a website <coughs> where you uh, talk about your travels and stuff like that. So where yeah. can people so get I, some more information? I got my um, Instagram is Grateful Travel and I, and I do... Uh, um, I do, I post all the time, but all kinds of little crazy little stories. I have a website, the grateful sailor. And then I have a YouTube channel. It's a uh, grateful sailor. And then there's also finding grateful. I have two of them finding grateful okay. and grateful sailor. But if you, if you look up my name, Dwayne Heil, they'll all tie into that, but grateful travel and grateful, or no finding grateful and grateful sailor. So it all revolves around grateful. And it's just a reminder every day to appreciate what you have. The reason this boat is named Grateful, okay, it's like it was saved for me, but the guy mm -hmm. who sold it to me was a doctor from Turkey. Successful guy, owned a hospital, was married with a kid, happy, cruising through life. His wife gets cancer and dies. He's a doctor and he's like, I'm supposed to save people. So mm -hmm. that's a lot for a doctor. And he's dejected and he's sad. His daughter becomes despondent through all this and she kills herself. Wow. Yeah. And he's like, holy fuck. I got nothing. So he said, how do I deal with this? It's a similar problem because you know what we have to do? We have to remind ourselves to be grateful for everything we still have, no matter how bad it was before. So he bought the best boat that he could at the, the state of the art at the time. It's still pretty state of the art. And he tricked it out. It's got all kinds of extras on it. It's a really bitchy boat. And, and then he started building all these boats and this, this is his, this is his therapy and they're yeah. all called grateful. And that's how he survives. And when that's he great. went for sale, I found it. It was like, the gods were shining down on me. This is like law of attraction type stuff for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's law of attraction shit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Dwayne, and it's attracted yeah. all kinds of great relationships, blah, blah, blah. I could talk about that, it for hours. That's great. Well, people can find you online. I'll post links to these in the description. 
And uh, cool. man, I really appreciate you sharing your story with me today. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. That was really nice. Dwayne, thanks again for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, I hope you have some safe travels out there on the on the high seas. I was a sailor, but you know, I wasn't on an actual sailboat like that. I was on a U.S. Navy warship going around the world. And being out in the middle of the ocean is something that a lot of people have never experienced, right? Where everywhere you look in all directions is just nothing but more water. It makes you really feel uh, how, you know, realize how small you are on this planet when you're like that. And you're like, holy crap, if I fell overboard right now, I would, there's, there's nothing that I, I could do. Like I would be dead out here, you know? Um, it's a scary situation. So be careful out there on your boat, man. Be careful out there. Uh, that's pretty much all I have this week, guys. I, again, I apologize for the audio issues. Uh, hopefully it wasn't too annoying. If you haven't done so already, please like subscribe, hit those notifications. You know, if you're on your favorite uh, audio platform of choice, please give us a five-star review. Uh, I forgot to ask you guys to do that in the, the, the intro. Uh, leave a comment if you're on YouTube. Drop a comment. Any comment will do. Your favorite emoji. Follow me on social media. The links are in the description for, for all of them. Uh, get on the Patreon, patreon.com slash comeonmanpod. If you want any kind of like coaching, dating advice, life coaching type stuff, uh, I do that all through the Patreon. That's tiers two or three, depending on on your needs there. But uh, otherwise, you can just support the show. Get on the the beer club beer club credits for ten bucks, and then um, all three tiers get access to my law of attraction course for fifty percent off. So um, if you've been thinking about doing the law of attraction course, getting your mind right, that sort of thing. Uh, check it out now and you get a 50% discount if you join the Patreon. Uh, get on the email list, list.comeonmanpod.com. I will send you some free stickers. If you like the design of the stickers too, they're available on merch, merch.comeonmanpod.com. You can get like hoodies, t-shirts, tank tops, coffee mugs, any kind of any kind of thing like that where, you know, you uh, you get a little something in return and you also help support the show. It's It's sort of a win-win situation with that. All right, guys, that's all I have this week. Be sure to tune in to the live stream on Wednesday. Other than that, we'll catch you next time. This has been the Come On Man podcast. New full episodes served hot every Monday morning on your favorite podcast platform of choice. So subscribe now. Follow Paul on social media. The links are in the description. Now, go out and get it.